0: Our series is simply entitled Guess Who's Coming. Now we know who's coming, but what is he coming for? That is the subject of our time today, here on Truth for Today. Hi there, and welcome. This is Truth for Today. Pastor Phil Howard has us in the middle of a series called Guess Who's Coming. We're looking at 2 Thessalonians. Now, we know it's the Lord Jesus who is coming. We also know the Antichrist is involved. But today we want to focus in on who he is coming for, the chosen. We're in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. Join us there, won't you, with today's broadcast of Truth For Today. Here's Pastor Phil Howard.
1: 2 Thessalonians uh, it's quite quite a journey. First chapter Christ's coming. Second chapter, Antichrist is coming. And now we pick up in chapter two, verse 13. Uh, he speaks of the chosen in Christ, but what he does there is he's going to give thanksgiving for these saints, that they're not like those who will perish. They're not like those who did not receive a love for the truth so as to be saved. But he was there and preached at Thessalonica when he saw the Spirit of God work not just in words only, he said, but in power to the conversion of these people. He saw them saved. And so in the midst of all of these uh, apocalyptic events and uh, critical events where there will be eternal destruction, fire... The power of Christ manifested toward his enemies. And in the midst of having his people terrified by false teachers who had unsettled their mind and created mental uh, anxiety, he he's telling them, don't be worried. You're not in the day of the Lord. Don't be afraid of God's prophetic calendar. It's not against you. And then he just goes back. And in contrast, he says, oh, by the way, let me tell you what I thank God about you for. And I just thought God's timing is amazing here. We're coming to Thanksgiving. Seven things, every believer that's here, this is for children of God. Seven things he gives thanks for in these passages that you could be thankful for today. If you don't have a big meal, but you just had these seven things. They will do better than any turkey dressing. These are seven things to be thankful for. Let us read the passage. Verse 13. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord. Because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel. That you might share in the glory of Of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we pass on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us and by His grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Seven things he says about them that he's thankful for. Let me do a little rehearsing. Chapter 1 of First Thessalonians, he said they were loved by God in verse 4, and he's going to repeat that. He said in the first chapter of First Thessalonians, they were chosen of God. He comes back to it again uh, he told them that they had believed the gospel and the power of the Spirit had turned them around. Chapter 1, verse 5. He said, you turn from idols to serve the living God. In chapter 1. He said, you're waiting now for Christ to come back from heaven who is delivering you from the coming wrath. Chapter 1, verse 10. He said he hoped that God would establish them in First Thessalonians 3.13. And he comes back to that theme. I want you to be established. I don't want you to be shaken by ever false teaching that comes down the pike. I want you to be firmly holding to what I'm telling you. He tells them in chapter 4 not to be disturbed about the dead in Christ. They're okay. Christ has not forgotten them. He will change them. They've only gone to sleep in Jesus until the resurrection morning. They don't cease to exist. They will be awakened on a resurrection day. Uh, He goes on to say in chapter 5 that uh, he says, The day of the Lord is something that's terrifying to sons of darkness, but it should not be terrifying to sons of light. He will come like a thief in the night to the sons of darkness, but to us, sons of light, he does not terrify. The day of the Lord is not a terror to us. For verse 9 of chapter 5 says, We've been not appointed to wrath, but to salvation through Christ. Well, he picks up the theme in 2 Thessalonians 1. That Christ is coming again. He's coming this time, not in meekness and humility, but in manifested power to conquer his enemies, to subdue the earth, and to take over complete authority. Chapter 2, he deals with the false teaching that these believers uh, have been subjected to. And they're thinking that they're in the day of the Lord. Now, why would they think that? When you're going through the persecution and suffering that this church was going through, it would help to give it a prophetic meaning. Maybe I'm in a prophetic time. Every time the church is going through horrendous persecution, it's easy to rewrite our eschatology. It's easy to say, we must be in that day. It must be here. I've been hearing ever since I was a young boy, Jesus is coming. He's coming soon. Now, is that true? And it is true with God. But you've got to remember, a day is like a thousand years with Him. And a thousand years is like a day. So time is rather relative when you're eternal. It's us that it seems long. I didn't ever think I'd turn 16 so i get driver's license. And my folks kept lying to me about my birthday so I wouldn't. Not really, but you know... Uh, you, some things drag on forever. As you get older, birthdays come quicker than you want to count. And so you learn to lie about your age. Uh, but now, he's going to begin his list. He's warned about those that will perish. They had no love for the truth. God will enable them to believe the lie. And all of that heart-rending material, their destruction is coming to those on the earth. And every man and woman who perish without God... Well, I have to say this. I never wanted the truth when I heard it. I had no appetite for the truth. I loved the lie. And that's why I'm before you for judgment. That will be the reason for every lost person standing before God. But now, let's deal with the seven things he says about believers. And I'll have to move rather rapidly to get to all of them. First of all. We ought to always thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord. Number one, we ought to thank God that he has chosen to permanently love us. The very tense here is, God loved us in the past with an abiding result that he will always love us in the future. It's a perfect, and it's interesting, it's a passive, that I am being loved by God. Does God's love for his child ever cease? There's times you'll think you're out of his love, and you might have moved out of it in your attitude, but his love for you continues. And sometimes the word love has been so cheap and you hear today, well, God just loves everybody and, uh, and you almost, sometimes you get the secondary uh, innuendo that goes, and he ought to, we are somebody, you know. If you got good taste, God, you want to love us. And we uh, fail to distinguish it, but I heard some marvelous lectures at Dallas Seminary, then I finally bought the book D.A. Carson, the uh, Greek exegete of Trinity, wrote a little book on the five kinds of love out of God, how to distinguish the love of God. And here's how he broke it down. First, there is a unique love that the Father has for the Son, and the Son has for the Father that is developed in John 3, John 5, John 14, that it is so intimate and so magnificent. There is a love between those two members of the Godhead uh, that none of us could ever fathom. It's it's a unique Father-Son love that's described in John Then we have God's love as a providential God. He's the God that loves us in providence. What does that mean? Whether you know God or not. Did you know the lions thank God, as it were, that he's around? Because he says he feeds the lion. Sparrows are thankful for God because he says he feeds sparrows. Lilies said we're clothed by this God. He said in Matthew, even to the just and the unjust, he gives rain, he gives seasons. God is benevolent to all of his creation. That is a manifestation of his love. All creation, animals, uh, human beings, God is loving Then there's a love that God shows towards a fallen world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Carson brings out, he uses world not to point out the bigness of his love, but the badness of those he loved. For the world is always seen in opposition to God. It always represents a counterfeit philosophy against him. And yet his love takes in the badness of people in the world of whom he said to his disciples, You are of this world, but I have called you out of enemy territory. And so the world represents the badness. How bad can it get? And God said, I so love bad people that I gave up my one and only son. God loved us while we were bad, while we were enemies. Uh, It's hard for us to take in because we love to drum up some merit. God found something so special in you from all the other sinners that he just had to love you. No, he loved us at our worst. And that's the John 3.16 love. Then there's a love that is particular. Uh, It is a love God has for his children. Uh, he displayed this to Israel. He said, Israel, I've chosen you out of all the nations. You were the least. You were not easy to get along with, but I set my love on you. I loved your forefathers. He says this in Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 7, Deuteronomy 10. All three chapters, he keeps telling them, I've loved you. I've loved you. You're special from all the nations of the earth. It's there. It's particular. It's unique. Don't care if you're like Jews or not. God does. And he set his love on their forefathers. He loved the church in a particular way. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I lay down my life for my sheep. It's the love that uh, I want to love all women as valuable, but I love one particularly as my wife. There's a uniqueness. Even I tell my children, oh, I love you. You know, how we use love in English. I love peanut butter. I love the dog. I love my wife. I love my kids. I hope there's some distinctions there. And so God says, I have a particular love for my own that I don't have towards anyone else in the same way. And that's what he's saying here. We thank God. We are the objects of the particular love of God that while we were objects of wrath by nature, Ephesians says, and while we were destined for wrath and we lived under the wrath of God in John 3, 36, we have now become the objects of this undying, unseen, ceasing, unfathomable love of God for us. We are the objects of his love forever. Be thankful. We will never see his wrath because we become objects of his love, vessels upon whom he had mercy. He goes on to say, I want to give thanks to God because he did something here. Let's see. Because From the beginning, God chose you to be saved. Wow. Uh, I, I seldom heard people ever give thanks because at this point, they want to correct God. They want to tell God how he can choose. God doesn't even defend anything. God chose you, the ones he's loving, his people in particular, in this context. I thank God that from the beginning, I think beginning of time, God saw fit to choose you. And we, it's really interesting. In Greek, you've got an active, passive, middle voice. It goes this way. Active. I hit the ball. That's the active use of the verb. And the noun. Uh, Passive. I was hit by the ball. But when you use a middle voice that we don't have. Latin has it. Greek has it. I myself was hit by the ball or I myself you'd have the I myself because you're participating in the action of the verb and so they had a middle voice and here he says God chose you for himself he didn't just choose you he chose you for himself and uh, I'm amazed with people who fight about how free man's will is They get fighting mad when God's will is free. God's free to choose whoever he wants. Why would he choose you? You know, when a guy's getting ready to go to the prom, it's best that that he only take one girl. It's economical. Especially if you get a Dutch street date, like they do today. But, you know, it doesn't mean he hates all the other girls. You only take one to the prom. And I'm not a polygamist. I'm staying broke with one. I chose one woman to marry. And God said, I just want you Thessalonians to know, being persecuted at Thessalonica, kicked out of the synagogue in Acts 17, being railed in the community, being said to the offscouring of the earth, being fired from your jobs, being kicked out of the synagogue, being disowned from Jewish families because you embrace the faith. Let me say this to you in the midst of all of your troubles and all your persecution, you are the people of my choice. Now, this was said at a time not to make them conceited or proud. Nothing will humble you more than when you find out God chose you and you're no better than those he didn't choose. But he says, I chose you to be saved. Do you know what I would do? I would just take him at his word and rejoice. If you're in the family, do you ever just go around and just say, Wow, God chose me for himself. Are there any days in your life you don't even like yourself? There's days you don't want to see a mirror. There's days that you got a big problem and it started with you. It resides with you and it ends with you. You are the problem. And then to say, but God wants me for himself. Now, I don't think it will make you conceited And I don't think it'll make you go out and figure out everybody who is and who isn't. You don't know that. I don't know that. God doesn't want you to know it. But he let them know it. If you're in the family, he wants you to know he chose you. See, God believes in planned births. Many of us got here by a miracle. No planning. It just happened. When my mother announced that she was going to have me, my brother Paul said, how can you do this to the family? This is absolutely unfair. So I grew up with a stigma. Uh, goes on to say, uh, thanks for setting us apart. Now look, he, he chose us to be saved. And the process, he, he sank, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. When God chose you, he had the Spirit begin to set you apart from that world that was going to follow under his judgment. And he begin this process of sanctifying us. Now, sanctifying is a fancy word, because we don't know Bible terms, of setting you apart from that which is wrong unto God. So it's set apart for God's use, primarily. And God began to set us apart. You know, I think of looking up an old friend of mine that I went through school yesterday. I remember when God began to set me apart from his crowd and set me apart from those guys I ran with. What was going on? The Holy Spirit was sanctifying me, setting me aside for sacred use. Uh, g- give up on stealing. Give up on jumping somebody. Give up being San Pablo. hulums. I'm going to set you apart for the king's service. So by the time I'm 15, I've lost all my old buddies. Why? The Spirit of God is sanctifying, sanctifying, setting me apart. And don't be surprised when you first got saved that you lost all your drinking buddies, your carousing buddies, and everybody you told dirty jokes with. What happened? What? Happened? They don't like me anymore. You know why? The Spirit likes you, and He's setting you apart. You're different. You're meant to be different. Don't be odd. But we are different. And I've met some weird Christians, believe me. Only God would have them. You know, uh, I don't think you have to be weird, but we are different. We have different appetites. Different things amuse me. Uh, different people attract me. What is that? It's the work of the Spirit. It's not that you're so holy. He's holy. And He begins to set you apart for all these holy appetites. And you could all say, He has set me apart to things. I love the things I used to hate. I used to hate to go to church. Because I, I was guilty. And I didn't want to go to the police station every week to know. I knew I was guilty. But boy, once I met the judge, and the judge is Jesus... And he gave me a full pardon. I'm going to tell you, I love being around where he is. And the reason I love being with saints, I get a little bit of Jesus when the saints are walking in holiness. They look a little bit like him. You know, it's a strange thing. When my dad died, I used to love to hug his remaining brothers. They all smelled like, I I don't know, just maybe oaky blood. But I would just hug my Uncle Frank or Uncle Zach and I would just say, man, they not only looked alike, but they smelled alike. And I just, it gave me some contact with what my dad's people were like. And uh, what's lovely about the saints is there's a little bit of Jesus in every saint. No Jesus, no saint. But when Jesus lives in the heart, there's a little bit of Jesus Thanks to God that he set us apart. Uh, And that's a lifelong process, by the way. Then he says, I thank God that he called us by the gospel. He called you to this through our gospel. Um, You know what's interesting thing? The word for called became a noun. It became a title. It was a verb, but it became a noun to designate the saints because they had a word, a kuo, that we get acoustics from, and then they had put a hooper, huper, huper o kuo, and it meant, I heard and believed. I heard and responded. I not just heard words and messages, I heard and I answered. And I said, yes, my sheep will hear my voice and they will follow. And God one day speaks, come out from the world, Follow me, not a voice of another. And when we we heard that call, all of a sudden, they named early believers called ones. Not that they just heard it, but they'd heard and responded. And he says, you people were not only called in the gospel, but you responded to the gospel, and you are called ones. You know what the word for church means? Called out of. The church are the called out of ones. Ec, out of, exit. And call to call. We've been called out of something. Out of darkness, out of sin, out of the kingdom of darkness, and into something, into Christ. And he says, I thank God you're called of God. You heard the gospel, and it gave you an ear to perceive it and believe it.
0: what we believe worship times directions and the like again truth for today radio.org or again simply call 855 833 9864 would you also bear in mind this radio broadcast is available through listener support